0: Hello and welcome to Talking Finance. I'm David Thornton. This week, Kelly O'Dwyer, Minister for Revenue and Financial Services, joins me to discuss superannuation and company tax rates. Evan Lucas, market strategist and founder of The Lucas Review, tells me how the markets have performed this week. David Rumbins, partner at Deloitte Access Economics, tells me about yesterday's retail trade figures. And Ben Grubb, tech writer for The Age and Sydney Morning Herald, tells me what innovations have come out of this year's consumer electronics show in Las Vegas. Helio O'Dwyer, Federal Minister for Revenue and Financial Services, joins me to discuss superannuation and company tax rates. So, Minister, superannuation is a bit of a hot topic uh, at the moment. The debate uh, revolves around the extent to which people should be able to tap into their super uh, to pay for other things such as medical expenses uh, and property. Uh, These obviously need to be addressed in isolation, uh, and we will. But what's the government's view generally on allowing super to be redirected to pay for other uh, life uh, expenses? Is this a slippery slope towards super becoming an everyday savings account?
1: Well, look, superannuation is very, very unique and it's obviously a very important part of Australia's retirement framework. Um, We actually compel people to save for their retirement by forcing that saving, uh, by in effect garnishing 9.5% of their wages today to provide for their retirement income in the future. But we have to never forget that it's not the government's money, and it's certainly not the industry's money. uh, It is the money of ordinary Australians who are deferring the use of that money today for their future. Now, we give um, superannuation very generous tax concessions as a result and we want it to grow over time. And we have to very carefully, obviously, weigh up the benefits of early access versus the impact on someone's retirement savings. And um, for 20 years, there has been a mechanism or early release of superannuation, but that hasn't been substantially looked at or changed for those 20 years. Under the current existing system, if you are suffering severe financial hardship or serious health conditions, there are rules governing early release. Um, But we in the government think that you need to look at whether they are fit for purpose today, whether they are effective and whether they do strike the right balance.
0: So, a lot of people have been using super to pay for medical expenses, um, which, of course, speaks to the issue of healthcare affordability. Uh, Does Australia have a healthcare affordability problem? And if so, does that warrant separate healthcare sector reform as opposed to simply allowing the redirection of super, which might be more of a a Band-Aid fix that doesn't address the core problems such as waiting lists and out-of-pocket expenses?
1: Well, obviously, Australia's healthcare system is the envy of Pretty much the world, we have one of the best healthcare systems in the world, and um, you're right to say that we have seen uh, an increase in the funds that have been released on compassionate grounds um, in relation to health matters and other matters, um, from around $42 million in about 2000 and 2001 to around $290 million in 2016-17. And that's why the government does think it is the right time to have a look at the framework, even though it is a very, very small percentage of the overall amount of people's superannuation savings, because there's around about $2.7 trillion now of superannuation savings in the system. Uh, we do think we need to make sure it does strike the right sort of balance and i released a paper at the end of last year that asked questions about you know in what circumstances should people get access to their superannuation early you know what really is severe financial hardship what do we mean by serious health conditions are there any other circumstances in which we would actually grant early access and Separate to that, um, I'm looking at a separate question where we have seen people commit very serious crimes and then put a lot of their money into superannuation in order to deny that money to the victims of crime, and I'm looking separately at that particular question as to whether we should provide access to those victims of crime um, to the superannuation of the perpetrator who might be trying to uh, defeat those victims in ordinary circumstances where they otherwise would have had access to the money.
0: I'd like to talk now about the first home super saver scheme uh, announced last year. Why has the government chosen to use super to tackle the whole, uh, the housing affordability uh, problem? Does conflating housing policy and super send mixed messages? Because you're kind of saying, we've got this scheme to fund the latest stages of life, uh, and that's its purpose, uh, but hang on, it can also help fund the home you want to buy now. So then, you know, in, in aggregate, you might have a situation where you have less super during retirement, uh, and perhaps young people relax their savings habits, knowing that they can dip into super to pay for the deposit. So wouldn't something like a, a tax rebate be better?
1: Well, um, I think it perhaps is a slight misunderstanding of what, in fact, the government has done on the housing affordability package and the changes that passed through the parliament uh, very recently. Um, we we believe there's no one silver bullet to impact and help um, those people who are looking to purchase um, a home. Uh, If there were, it would have been done by now, right? Um, But we believe uh, you need to tackle this issue in a number of ways and it needs to be very carefully calibrated because obviously there is no one housing market, you know the the Labor Party like to sort of suggest the housing market is Sydney, Um, certainly that's an important housing market and there are different um, markets within Sydney itself but the idea that you would for instance change taxation policy which would impact the whole of the nation where there are of course very different things going on in Perth and in northern Queensland because of what might be happening in parts of Sydney um, seems to us the wrong response this is why we have said um, we want to help people particularly for Home buyers to be able to save for their deposit. And one of the set up institutions and structures that exist right now where tax concessions are provided is the superannuation system. So for those first home buyers who are wanting to contribute additional amounts into their superannuation, so this is not that 9.5%, but it's over and above that, but within um, contribution limits, if they want to contribute up to $30,000 into superannuation, they will get the benefit of the very substantial tax concessions that do apply, and they will then, Particularly if they're in a couple, for instance, um, have access to about $60,000 in savings that can provide the deposit, which will then mean they can get the loan that they need to purchase a property um, now that works for some people um, we know for instance as well that superannuation can be one of those mechanisms where we can incentivize people to downsize from the family home because there are a lot of people who complain that they can't get into a family home because it's all locked up we've provided in the most recent budget incentives for older australians to downsize from their family home by saying you can put up to three hundred thousand dollars um, from the proceeds of the sale of that property into your superannuation over and above the contribution limits um, if you sell that property. Again, this will mean that that property is freed up for other people to be able to purchase. Um, so these are just some... Of the mechanisms. Um, obviously, land release is very important. and We've been working with the state governments in relation to that. Um, we, we also believe it's important as well to ensure that um, for those people who might be renting, that they have affordable housing as well. It's not just those people who are looking to purchase a property, but also making sure we have affordable housing for those people who are renting properties as well.
0: And finally, Minister, the OECD just released a report that found uh, that company tax cuts do not unfairly favour the rich, um, which must be music to the government's ears. Now, obviously, the idea is that company tax cuts uh, boost investment and therefore drive economic growth. Uh, but what companies actually do with these cuts uh, is not a monitored process. Wouldn't it be better uh, cutting the tax of lower-income earners uh, who you know have a, a higher propensity to spend?
1: Well, um, I think the OECD report, as you have highlighted, is very, very clear that, you know, it's totally rubbish Labor's claim that um, cutting company tax would increase inequality. Um, It's highlighted that, in fact, it does bring benefits to people of all income levels. And uh, it also follows on from... IMF reports and from uh, Treasury analysis and particularly modelling that says it is critical that Australia um, is competitive in what has been uh, a landscape in the global tax environment that has been shifting very, very radically where we have seen huge reductions in the corporate tax rate um, in the UK, in France and obviously most recently in the US. Um, We need to be competitive because, of course, we need to attract investment. And if you attract investment, you can grow your economy. When you grow your economy, you are looking to increase jobs. And all of those people who get a job, they pay tax. Um, And that's actually a really good thing for our economy. They also spend. And again, that's a really good thing for our economy. So um, we are clearly on the right path here. Um, we've obviously called on the Labor Party to support the government in these measures. And again, the government has also said that um, we believe in reducing taxes where we can. So it's not an either or, you know, reducing company taxes or reducing personal income taxes. We believe you could and should do both. That's what we're focused on. Meanwhile, Labor, of course, have been focused on increasing taxes to the tune of $164 billion on our economy and on the Australian people.
0: Joining me now to look at how the market's performed this week is Evan Lucas, market strategist and founder of The Lucas Review. So Evan, the ASX 200 uh, has seemed to have a, a good week. What's happened? Yeah,
2: look, the start of January or the start of any year normally tends to be reasonably good, but what happened at the start of sort of 2016 when we had sort of some Chinese regulation issues that caused some fairly large volatility. January tends to be a fairly reasonable month. It also is a month that you need to probably put in perspective. Volumes through the markets are pretty low. You know, there's still a reasonable amount of people on on summer holidays, and even over in the US, and also most of you know, Europe with, these, with their winter holidays, still tend to have a bit of low volumes, and, that, and that's certainly what we're seeing. It is also basically sort of picking up where 2017 ended. So there isn't any major change there. Momentum is there. There are certainly growing expectations that EPS growth in the U.S. will be good for their earnings season coming up. EPS growth in Australia coming up in February is expected to be pretty reasonable as well for our first half of FY18. So that's there. I would always caveat that you do need to look through probably the first 10 trading days. As I said, the volumes are low. You also start to enter into – a period where we do get confession season probably normally sort of starts roughly around the 15th or 16th of Jan So next Monday Tuesday was when you're going to start probably starting to see that so far from ones that we have seen There's only been three of them. they have actually been positive surprises So there is that chance as well and that could therefore continue the upside in the ASX So all very good But just just be aware that this time of year there is a little bit of sort of witching hour going on
0: Uh, Have any sectors stood out?
2: Uh, The sectors that should stand out are standing out. And what I mean by that is that 2018 should be and will likely be the peak of the growth cycle that probably began around about two and a half, three years ago, uh, globally, that is. So, you know, you've now seen the World Bank, you've now seen the IMF upgrade their expectations around global growth. And my sort of way of looking at that is that when you see those two do it, they're normally the last in the cycle to, to upgrade growth and they now believe 2018 is there. So if you look at the sectors that have performed in Australia, they're our growth sectors. They are things like energy. They are things like materials. Also things like healthcare and health is also another growth area. They're the ones that outperformed quite dramatically in 2017 and so far in the very short period that we've had in 2018 have done the same thing. You should therefore be- if growth materialises as all of these forecasts from economic advisors are coming, that they're the sectors that are likely to outperform this year continuously, so not just what's happened in the last sort of six or seven trading days, but throughout 2018. The question is now whether or not inflation catches up, and if inflation does, then you might start to see a bit of a switch moving back towards value sectors, but in the main, growth is the place to be.
0: Evan, we've seen... a. Uh- quite synchronized global growth. Is that set to continue through 2018?
2: Uh, It should. There will be a few sort of newer ones, if you know what I mean. Um, Everybody knows the US story. Everybody understands the US growth story is is pretty positive and and has remained so. and, And now with... Also fiscal policy, so government policy with the Trump tax plans coming through, there is expected to be another bump up in the first half of the year. It will probably slow down the back half of the year, but there should be another growth there. So the US will be there. The one that I'm really interested to watch is actually Europe. Europe is starting to rise out of what has been a horrible period in the, uh, the post-GFC world. And they're, they're the ones I think are really interesting to watch. If the Eurozone does start to materialise, start beating the last sort of, you know, three-year trend growth figures, that's a real positive for Europe, but also for us here in Australia. They are the second largest export sort of trading partner with China. And from an export perspective for China, it's their second largest market. Demand for Australian goods, particularly bulk commodities, will benefit from that. So global growth will be there. If you want to look at it from an equity perspective in an Australian sense, Unfortunately, we're likely to still continue to probably underperform. We are more of a value market than a growth market, um, and with that in mind, you, you will certainly follow the leader, but we may, as we did last year and, and so far this year, we'll probably follow the trend, but not as strongly as some of these other markets.
0: Uh, you mentioned Europe. Is there a growth story uh, a reversion to the mean type of thing, or are they excelling uh, in their own right? Bit of both, uh,
2: and again, the reason the eurozone is hard to sort of quantify in the fact that obviously it's, it's twenty-eight countries, and, and you know, fourteen of them use the same currency, and blah blah blah. Uh, the way to look at it is probably the manufacturing um, countries of, of Europe, and particularly the high end. So you, you probably do need to concentrate on Germany the most, France probably next. Um, the German story is certainly one that of, of strength. It is showing very good signs. Of really good growth. Um, high-end manufacturing is on the up. Demand for high-end manufacturing is on the up. If you look at German inflation in terms of what's going on, and that actually comes out next week. So for those of you who do like to look at economic data, have a look next week at the harmonized CPI. It's growing in the right direction. It is slightly reverting to the mean, but it is also pushing past. So there are certainly signs that European growth is is moving in the right direction. You've got Policy that is certainly helping them. The ECB has been fairly loose for a very long time, and it still looks unlikely that Mario Draghi will change that anytime soon, even if they start to overshoot on growth. So, it's an interesting one. Um, I think they would want it to actually go past their average, which is around about one point three, one point four percent for the whole zone, which doesn't sound huge, but if you take into you know respects places that have been under a lot of pressure, places like Italy, places like Spain. That is actually a real positive thing to actually see that. And, and the output side of, of Europe is what everybody's getting very excited about. And
0: just finally, uh, Evan, is the Phillips curve dead here and, and globally?
2: Oh, good question. It's one of those things that sort of it's – it's an interesting to talk about. Um, I personally don't fully subscribe um, to what's going on on the Phillips curve and, and you know what's happening there and, and the fact that you have – got fairly reasonable breakdowns in some economic sort of areas and and, and what normally should occur and and what isn't occurring right now. The reason I say that the Phillips curve is an interesting one to look at from a talking point of view, but not that sort of interesting anymore and maybe does answer your question is disruption and globalisation are clearly parts of what are disturbing the Phillips curve. Um, The free-flowing movement of labour, the free-flowing movement of capital, um, is, is certainly different to how the Phillips curve has always been described. So, yeah, interesting question, probably one I don't subscribe to just yet.
0: David Rumbens, partner at Deloitte Access Economics, joins me now to discuss retail trade figures which came out yesterday. David, retail turnover rose 1.2% in November 2017. What was that? Look, it's a very strong result.
3: Um, I think we've been seeing over the past few months uh, you know a lot of pessimism about the the retail sector certainly um, uh, measured trading performance has been slow uh, and and we know that some companies are in trouble um, but the underlying drivers have not been. Uh, quite as weak as uh, as some of those recent headlines have suggested and and particularly employment growth uh, was really strong across the Australian economy over recent months. So it's not that surprising that we did finally get a a stronger month um, because uh, underlying income growth, while it hasn't been particularly strong, uh, has been driven by stronger employment growth. Um, and also the fact that the housing market, uh, you know, even though it is starting to to wane in Sydney, is is still supportive. So, look, you know, not not that surprising that um, you know we've son- finally seen a bit of a bounce in, in the retail figures, and, um, uh, and and you know, I think this will be very welcome uh, across uh, a number
0: of sectors. Uh, which parts of the retail industry uh, drove those increases? Look, we saw in November uh, the one point two percent rise.
3: Uh, Overall, Uh, we saw a nine percent rise in electrical and electronic uh, retailing. So, um, uh, some of this has been attributed to the release of uh, iPhone 8 and and iPhone X uh, through the month. Uh, So that was clearly the strongest component. Uh, We did see rises um, across most categories, uh, most broad categories within the month. Um, So it was led by um, consumer electronics, but other parts of household goods. Uh, performed well as well. Clothing performed well. Um, we saw a rise in um, uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, less less growth in in the food part of retail in the month. Uh, that was uh, that was steady for the month uh, rather than growing. So it was very much non-food led by electronics and other parts of household goods.
0: What was the distribution performance between uh, online and bricks and mortar? Look, online's
3: uh, continuing to grow. So, so in this release, um, uh,
0: the ABS have estimated
3: that five and a half percent of retail sales were online, which is the highest that it's recorded. Um, so, it still says the majority is is bricks and mortar. what we do know that with a lot of bricks and mortar transactions, that these are influenced by online. Um, that that people do their research online or even do price comparisons, you know, while while in store. So, it's it's a you know it, it's a component of much spending, but but pure online, uh, it's measured at five and a half percent of sales.
0: There was a lot of hype uh, when Amazon hit our shores and data from Google Trends does confirm that. It also confirms that after its launch, interest in Amazon Australia uh, wavered somewhat. Uh, do you expect uh, that trend to continue or uh, are we going to flock to amazon in in huge numbers? Look, I think
3: it's it's really still early days um, for Amazon. Um, uh, you know, I, I expect that they will be um, you know looking to get a, a significant foothold uh, uh, in the Australian market. So, um, you know, we say they launched in uh, um, uh, recently, uh, but prior to that, I mean, Amazon has already been doing sales in Australia of over a billion dollars um, uh, from its uh, overseas distributors. Um, uh, you know, you would expect that to, to, to grow quite significantly over time. So um, I think Amazon attributed their, their first-day sales in Australia to be the strongest uh, of any country that they'd launched in. It perhaps didn't uh, match the fanfare that, or the expectation that had been built up. But um, uh, Amazon will be a significant part of, uh, of the competitive landscape
0: over the next few years. Consumer Electronics Show held in Las Vegas each year is one of the biggest tech shows going around. So I thought I'd give Ben Grubb, tech writer for The Age and Sydney Morning Herald, a call who's on the ground in Vegas as a guest of Hisense. So Ben, what technological trends did you pick up at this year's show? What does the uh, future look like?
4: Yeah, I always find CES a little bit, uh, at least in the recent years, uh, that's just to be frank, you know, a little bit boring. Uh, The only reason I say that is because a lot of the technology companies uh, these days, like Apple and Samsung, tend to hold their own events. Uh, and uh, as you'll see in September, Apple usually does its, uh, and, and then you've got Samsung doing uh, some of its earlier in the year to try and beat Apple. Um, but there were some interesting things that I, I noticed this year that I thought are worth worthy of noting. And um, some of those are, uh, well, at the CES Unveiled event the day before CES, they have all these little technology companies that, that get their chance to show the world what they're capable of doing uh, and uh, probably the most uh, interesting thing from that was actually airbags for old people. Um, so uh, bear with me here. So you wrap this uh, thing around your waist uh, and if it senses that you're falling, a canister blows up these, I guess like a life jacket, but for your, um, for your waist uh, and protects the fall of elderly people who uh, you know might break their uh, break their bones if they fall over. I thought that was quite interesting in solving a problem that actually exists. Mm-hmm. Um, a- another uh, interesting uh, idea was this uh, suitcase that uh, follows you as you walk through the airport um, using you know artificial intelligence and um, you know cameras on the front. and um, so there's been a few reporters that have been trialing these. Um, and there's about three of them uh, on the show floor at the moment. Um, to some degree of success, and others not, sometimes they run into the walls and just you know lose track of you and your, your, uh, your luggage ends up running away from you. So not always useful. Uh, But, you know, it's showing what technology is capable of uh, and also quite interesting. Um, And then you've got things like the all-seeing kind of baby camera. Um, that, you know, detects the the heart rate of uh, a baby and, you know, it's able to tell you whether they're sleeping and uh, all sorts of things beyond just, say, putting a mat under the baby, which is, um, you know, what people are traditionally using to prevent sudden death syndrome, which is when a a baby dies in a cot and might get suffocated. So it's good to see, again, technology trying to solve real-world problems uh, that do exist, where some of the time you, you see these these items that it's like, you know, why, why, why do we need this? Um, I would have, you know, I would have the, said,
0: I would have said that about the uh, suitcase. Yes. Let's say
4: yes. <laughs> that is not really, that's a first world problem. Uh, definitely. <laughs> um, but, you know, th- actually quite an interesting thing happened today actually, which was that um, the power went out at CES, um, you know, and it's an electronic show. It's a bit ironic. Uh, and uh, one of the funny things was the technology working against people was they have these charging because um, everyone takes their phones along and then you know, runs out of battery because they're filming stuff and Snapchatting and so on. And they put these things in like a little capsule. Uh, and the idea is that you can charge it, you can put a pin and no one can steal it while you put it in this device, like a rack with everyone else's phones. Uh, but the power went out and then it turned back on and no one could get their devices out of the machine as it was rebooting and even at the end because it reset. So uh, technology works against us sometimes, and it's not always great.
0: Now, Ben, you wrote recently uh, on the air taxi. Uh, so <laughs> I suppose my question is, are we heading towards a Jetson future anytime soon?
4: Yeah, no, this is probably the most exciting uh, thing that I have seen. I mean, flying cars, I remember watching uh, it probably in the year, oh, what are we talking about, probably uh, the 2000, uh, and it was something like, you know, flying cars will, you know, be here in 2010 or whatever. And like, I never saw them and I'm like, what happened? So, um, you know, there's this thing, uh, Intel showcased it. It's from a company called Volocopter. Uh, and it's kind of like a drone, I guess, that you can sit in. It has 18 rotors. It can fly up to a hundred kilometers an hour. It has a battery life of 30 minutes uh they're hoping to extend that to an hour Uh, and it's basically a yeah it's it's a two-seater uh drone it's autonomous uh so you don't actually have to uh learn to fly or know how to fly in order to sit in this um this unit and uh, they've, they've been trialing it in germany and also dubai dubai was where they um dubai is a very drone friendly uh city Um, And they've been trialling it there and had an autonomous flight. Um, They haven't got any time frame yet on when we'll actually see this. But what their dream is, is to have a bunch of these uh, volocopters uh, around cities uh, in order to avoid, I guess, traffic congestion, which we face all all the time. And, I mean, if you're in Sydney at the moment, you're dealing with uh, a public transport network, uh, at least in the train space, that just cannot cope. Uh, so the idea, yeah, you jump in, uh, off you go, uh, and you can uh, fly up to 100 kilometres an hour to your destination. It would be like an Uber-style service where you could uh, load up a smartphone app and say, you know, here I am, come and pick me up. Uh, and you'd obviously obviously, have to be in an open space that can, uh, you know, where one of these could land. Presumably that would be in um, parks uh, and, and various other areas with lots of uh, open space, uh, and you'd uh, summon one of these to come and pick you up and
0: take you to where you need to be. Happy birthday, Elvis Presley, who would have turned 83 on Monday. Here's one of my favourites, Suspicious Minds.
2: I can walk out Because I too much, baby
4: Can't you see what you're doing to me When you don't believe a word I
0: say Well, that's it for Talking Finance this week. I'm David Thornton. Have a constant week.